podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, September the 27th, as we record this podcast. Virginia on the bye this week. Cavaliers go out and win in uh, in Boise, or however you're supposed to say that. Um, 42-23 over uh, the Broncos of Boise State. Uh, a um, a development that uh, let me let me check my notes here. None of us saw coming, so we will <laughs> we'll dive into that and sort of talk a little bit about where the Cavaliers are as they uh, reach their bye weekend. We're also um, for those of us those of you who are listening, um, you will get conversation about all of the allegations in college basketball. Um, look for that uh, tomorrow. Uh, before we get going, let's go around and introduce everybody. We'll start up in Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Brad, who days on the board at who days on Twitter? No thanks for asking. You, uh, you have tonight. a you have a, you have a phrase. A little under no, the Dave. weather today, man. No, 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 no. But you have a <laughs> phrase. You have to add, you have to say the thing every time. That's why I want to open the show. I say the same thing. It's my shtick. That's well, you got to stick to it. You got to do better next week. Um, which will, in your case will be in like 45 minutes when we record the other half of this. Uh, also, up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber is still alive and on the show. How you doing, buddy? Uh, yeah, first time caller, long time listener. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Thanks. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Thanks for asking. Had <laughs> uh, Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter still. Still today, at least. Uh, Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. I, I would like to to point out that poor Jay James, my boy from uh, WINA and the Cavalier Radio Network, he, uh, or is it Virginia Radio Network? Did I just mess that up? I did. Anyway, he, he never gives the right uh, Twitter handle, right? He always says Cavs Corner. He never says underscore in the middle. And I never have the heart to tell him that it's wrong. Um, and so... Maybe I'm maybe I'm saying this because I want him to listen to the podcast and uh, and find out, but um, but yeah, I always feel bad. Anyway, okay, so in the pantheon of things you were expecting to see Friday night uh, when the Cavaliers were out on the blue turf, forty two twenty three with at one point a let me let me check my notes here, uh, twenty eight point advantage in the late third quarter, um, excuse me, early fourth quarter. My bad. Um, where did that rank? Because I'm gonna be honest, I did not expect them to be up 28 points in the fourth quarter uh, in 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 Boise. I, I don't know if it's the most surprising thing. There was at least one basketball game where they were like taking Syracuse or somebody to the woodshed, and I, or maybe maybe it was Louisville, which is kind of apropos today. But like, I just it, it has to be like the most surprising result. It's definitely the most surprising positive result that I've seen uh, on my time in my time at the beat on the beat. Where where does that rank for you guys, uh, Ferber? Let's start with you. Where 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 does it where does it rank? From a surprise standpoint, yeah, yeah, from um, a st- yeah, right up there at the top. Um, I think, I mean, we talked about it last week. I thought they could win. I mean, we talked about that. Uh, it, it was there was a path forward for that. There, it wasn't impossible. I thought it was unlikely. Um, I picked them to lose by like six points, which means I kind of thought they would be in the game. But throttling them was something that I didn't even consider, honestly, until it kind of started to happen, honestly. Once it got to 28-14, I was like, oh, they got a chance to actually win this game by a significant margin. Um, Not something that I was expecting at all. Uh, The poise that they showed on the road, you know, getting down early by seven, and then, you know, they give the touchdown up at the end of the half, which kind of, 
made it seem like maybe the pendulum was going to swing back to Boise State after UVA had kind of taken momentum at 21-7. They come back out and score right away to start the second half, and they get stops and score again. And then, you know, they just keep piling on the points until the very end of the game. So uh, that was that was pretty surprising to me. I mean, the Florida State win a couple of years ago was shocking, but that was a nip-and-tuck game that UVA just pulled out at the end. Um, this was a beatdown. Yeah, I mean, it, for me personally, not that you went to me there, Brad. I'm just stepping over your feet. Um, the uh, hey, I was going to, but I, I thought I thought you you knew you knew what, what the deal was. Go ahead. I'm all off tonight. Um, it's it's what happens when we have a successful win. I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, we're yeah we we talked a little bit before the podcast, obviously between between Friday night and now we have discussed things. Um, I mean, initially, it kind of reminds. I went back to the Miami game in 2007, the last game at the Orange Bowl. Um, but you know that Miami team. As soon as you punch them in the mouth, they rolled over. Um, we were all surprised how big it was. Uh, I, I think that's the closest I can come up with because um, we don't blow out teams like that very often. Um, the only other one that could possibly come to mind, I think, it was what 2009. Virginia started 0 and 3 and then scrapped the spread offense. Yeah. And they won three in a row, including that one up in Maryland um, when Maryland was decent. Um, but, yeah, for me, it, it's at least 2007 Miami. Um, I was listening to last week's podcast uh, earlier today, and, you know, we all kind of said, you know, we expected Virginia to lose, but we wouldn't be shocked if they won. But we were all sh- – I think we can all agree we were shocked how they won. Yeah, I, yeah, that is a very, very, very good summation because – I definitely thought, all right, listen, I, I, I don't think Virginia's going to get rolled over here, but I definitely think the Cavaliers have, you know, are, are, I can't pick them to win it, but I think they got a good a good chance. And so saying I wouldn't be shocked to see them win, yeah, I was shocked to see them kind of do what they did. Yeah, one um, caveat too, like over the grand scheme of the game, it was certainly shocking. Ask me how I felt after that first drive that they ended right? up winning 42-14 because we right. were all texting, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> yep. It was it was very interesting too because I feel like I I feel like maybe did I talk about this on the show Dave you you just re listened to it where I was talking about them they were going to face adversity the offense was going to have some issues at some point and it was going to be crucial um, you know absolutely crucial how they responded in that spot and um, to fast forward through the rest of the game and just see the just the, the like this like it was such a source of joy like they, the sideline is like swaggy like they are having the time of their life and i was just like that is one heck of an answer if you can say yep they're going to go 80 yards in seven plays under 3 minutes they're going to take a 7-0 lead virginia's going to have to punt um and they're going to they're going to go what uh they're going to score outscore 42 to 7 over the next whatever three quarters I mean just it just it's so crazy to me um and they were they were executing at a high level but it was it was so much it was it was in a lot of ways like the UConn game to me like offensively at least you know maybe they weren't um maybe quite as prolific but I mean 626 yards 455 for Kurt like but seriously that was that was an offensive performance um especially considering you knew what they were playing against now here's the thing I thought a lot this week about the possibility that maybe Boise State is not really that good and maybe we just saw Virginia whoop up on two teams that were uh overmatched in the moment UConn from a talent standpoint and Boise State because they just weren't expecting the Cavaliers to be any good um so maybe they were just too laid back I'm not sure um, but I, I mean, I kind of think they're pretty good and it feels weird to say that out loud because we're not supposed to say that out loud. 
Um, how how do how did this game does this game change for you, Dave? Does this game change for you the way you view this team sort of going forward? Like where where does that effort put you in terms of your because you're you know you're an optimistic kind of guy. Where does it put your <laughs> hey, optimism? I changed. Thought I was a hand ringer. What the hell am I? You, you are <laughs> hand ringer when you need to be. That's for sure. Um, like. After the UConn game, I wanted to believe this team was better. Um, after Boise State, I feel they're better. Now, as we talked about in the preseason, what's improvement for this team? Like, is this was this team so bad last year that getting better still doesn't mean winning a lot of games? Um, and I, like, I'm still kind of in between the two. The execution is good. The play calling is much better. The defense is shocking me. I mean, let's not take away the fact we we dominated that game on the road without Malcolm Cook and Tim Harris, who we were all counting on as being part of a really good defense. Um, mainly because of the play of the guy who's playing because Harris is out, and, and Britton Nelson. Um, you had Andrew Brown playing outside linebacker. Bronco was pulling out all kinds of stuff on the defense, and it was working. And then offensively, you've got an offensive line that Three weeks, two weeks ago, couldn't block, you know, um, Indiana very well, and they kept a clean pocket most of the night for Kurt, who is a completely different quarterback when the pocket's clean, um, and a guy who feet like one good thing happens, it just rolls with him. Uh, very much, you know, very much improved team over what we we saw against Indiana. Um, I almost feel like I need to go back and watch the Indiana game again, <laughs> see see if maybe Bronco was right and I was completely wrong that the team was performing better versus William Mary. But yeah, I mean, it's light years over what we saw at the same time last year. Um, and in many ways, it's not that different of a roster, which speaks to development and understanding your players well. Um, and this is not like Virginia rolled out to Boise and I can't, um, and they turned the ball over 10 times and Virginia took advantage of it. I mean, it was a one turnover, unless I'm forgetting one. Um, one turnover and you were up 42 to 14. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I feel like in, a, in the big scheme of things, um, we'll look back on – we'll look back on not just the result but the way it happened. And I feel like if if you recall like earlier – like preseason, I I'm a I was a big like, hey, it's not just going to be about what happens, uh, it's going to be about how it happens. So like, it's not just about wins and losses. You know how how are they losing? How are they winning? And what's crazy to me is that, like they're not just three and one. They're three and one in games that they really haven't been challenged in a lot. Like they're three and one in with essentially like three easy sorts of wins, right? Now, what will be interesting is that like they're not always going to be like that, right? So they're going to have games that are tight. How do they respond in those situations? Clearly, the team needs to start, you know, learning how to win those games. But yet they haven't. I mean, other clearly the Indiana game was a letdown. They didn't play well that day. But man, they played pretty well um, the other days. And I think that it's 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 so weird to have a Virginia team that you're watching kind of go out and not just like not just play well, but you know, exceed your expectations and play beyond that. So, you know, we thought, all right, they 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 did this bad stuff to UConn. Um, UConn's pretty bad, right? Like they're they're just they're they're hapless. I think I called them hapless like three times uh, all week. If, but then like you know, like oh well, they're gonna go to 
Boise State and um, you know, and get rolled, or at least lose, right? Like I think we all own up to that. We you know, yeah, we thought yeah. we thought we thought they'd lose, and then they go out there and they do the exact opposite. I mean, it just it it sort of blows my mind. But at the same time, like if you think about like what they're actually doing, like they're not. Like your Dave, to your point, like they they didn't create a bunch of turnovers. This wasn't you know a crazy result. They literally just ran their offense. They just executed it. They when the offensive line blocks well, uh, and they run the ball well. Now all of a sudden the pass is there, and Kurt is in a nice rhythm right now. He's got a good rapport with Lavroni. They seem to be making some hay. Now you got the deep ball. You got the running game. Everything in the middle is now open. Uh, Zacchaeus, I think they finally have figured out sort of how to use him in both. And I wonder if like not having Joe Reed. For most of the UConn game and then this game, like if it if it has forced them to maybe play less dudes in a way, um, and now they're able to kind of key off of Alameda in, in a different sort of way. I just feel like as we as we as this team moves forward and we and we we we're watching for more signs of progress. I'm definitely going to be looking for what they look like in close games, but at the same token, like um, it just feels like to me that maybe some of this is sustainable. For what do you think? Is this do you think this is sustainable? Is this something that they can they can actually keep going. I mean, I don't think they're going to score 42 points every game, but I think that the offense that they're running is sustainable. Sure. Um, the offensive line, I mean, the running game has just improved enough since they've changed the offensive line over the last two games to open things up in the passing game. And that's sustainable. I mean, if you can run the ball at this kind of a clip for, for most of your games and you're going to be able to, to have a diverse offense, um, what we're seeing a lot less of now are these just over and over again shots to the to the outside, to the edge, um, to the sideline. There's less of that and more stuff in the middle of the field and, and more stuff, you know, catching the ball and running um, as opposed to just catching it in a spot. And obviously they're making plays behind the secondary, which is something that they weren't able to do a lot last year or in the first couple games this year. So, um, I mean, obviously it's it's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm a little taken aback by it. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, I think I think that they're just executing at such a higher level this year than they were last year. I don't think the talent is is too much different. It's just I think they just they're very comfortable in the schemes that they have and and they're executing them. And, and then I mean they haven't really had to to rely on their kicker or special teams that much. Obviously the Indiana game was pretty rough and they had a block, uh, punt blocked in this game, but for the most part they've been improved over what we saw last year. So. I mean, there's still work to go, but I think what what we know is at their best, they're good enough to win. Um, they're they're probably I don't know if they're good enough to beat Miami on the road or Louisville on the road or maybe Virginia Tech at home, but I think they're good enough to beat anybody else on their schedule. Yeah, Ferber's gonna have a, a nice little uh, summation. Well, it's not little; it's it's pretty lengthy, but it's it's a it's an in depth sort of look at the rest of the of the schedule, and he makes a good point about like. You know, maybe Duke's a little bit better than we all thought. Carolina probably not as good as we all thought. Pitt much worse than we all thought. Um, Georgia Tech seems winnable. There are a lot of winnable games that sort of creeped up onto the schedule. But it's the overall optimism that you sort of feel about this team that is sort of driving a lot of that. And I think part of it is that you know, I don't want to overstate the the change on the offensive line, but there's just no way to get around that. Since they moved Dylan Rankins Meyer to center, I wonder if it hasn't make Jay make if it hasn't made Jake Feeler a better player because I think in the uh, PFF grades, he he was one of the, I don't know if it's the ACC or just a coastal, but I mean, he graded out, ACC. you know, yeah. really high. And I'm wondering if like, if, if this, if the change has not only benefited 
Dylan, but also made their guard play so much better. Um, I mean, I remember, man, after those first, you know, two games, we were dogging that offensive line. And these last two, they have looked just night and day. I mean, if you, you can see it. Like you, like, you don't even need to go back and break down the game. Like, you can just look at it while it's happening, and you can see the push. Um, and, and I think Dave, Dave's point earlier, like when, 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 uh, Ben Kirk has a clean pocket, I mean, he is a different dude. Um, and, and I think he's, he's making good decisions. I think one thing before I kick it over to you, Dave, to, to, to sort of, uh, talk about the sustainability thing. One thing that really stands out to me is, you know, what is sustainable? Like all the pieces working together. Like you're not asking right now, anybody to like, you're not, you're not winning right now because Jordan Ellis is, is rushing for 215 yards, right? Everybody's kind of doing their job, uh, you know, receivers are making catches. Bankers putting the ball in the right place. Offensive line's doing a good job in pass pro as well as in run blocking. Running backs are, you know, seeing holes well. Defensively, you know, secondary's playing well. They're they're opportunistic. They're making plays. Offense, excuse me, defensive line is getting a push. They're making plays in the run game as well as creating some chaos. Middle of the of the defense, I think, is is doing a good job, especially without Malcolm Cook out there. I mean, realistically, what you're seeing is just pieces working together, and that's the way it's sort of supposed to look. And I gotta be honest, like earlier in the season, if you had told me, like if you had told me after that the Indiana game that after the next two I'm gonna be saying some of this stuff, I mean they look completely disjointed that day in a lot of ways. Um, and now it's it's like they have sort of hit their stride a little bit. I wonder if some of that isn't just players having a better feel for what they're being asked to do, and then coaches having a better feel for what they should be asking the players to do around other stuff does that make sense like it just feels like the game plans are better feels like the calls are better it feels like everybody's more comfortable and I think I think in a way that's exactly what you would hope to have seen from this team but anyway Dave what do you think is it sustainable I think a lot of it is I mean like you can only do what you can do right I mean you can't you can't be faster than you are but you can play faster and you, you can't be can't be bigger than you are, but you can play bigger. I mean, I know that makes sense, but understanding the defense, understanding the offense, and doing what you're supposed to inside of it um, is something you can do regardless of talent level. And now that I think the coaches understand the talent better, and we talked about it a little bit last week, we, and you saw it again at Friday night, um, simple things like just having having OZ run that jet sweep look, like it changes the entire look of the – look of the uh, defense. They all freeze for a second and opens up everything. And now you throw in, and which hasn't been mentioned yet, and I think the offensive MVP of the game was Evan Butts. Um, he, we talked at nauseum after the Indiana loss about how Virginia didn't throw anything to the middle, middle of the field. Evan dominated the middle of the field Friday night. Um, and when he didn't go out, he's such a good blocker. On both of the touchdown runs, Evan threw the block. Like on, He sealed the edge, sealed the hole, on OZ's big sweep, and he hit a had a big big block on Ellis's touchdown, um, one of Ellis's touchdowns. So that threat of just having someone in the middle of the field to cover that ties up a linebacker, ties up a safety, depending on the coverage, um, and opens up stuff for your speedsters on the outside. So all that stuff is sustainable. Now you're going to run into some talent that's capable of covering that one on one. That is what it is. But I think the number one thing that's sustainable, and not to be cheesy and go back to what we talked about all year last year. But it's the culture. Like at, at Albertson Stadium on a Friday night, which is where Boise became Boise. That's playing those games, and that's I think that's something that's easy to overlook. That's how they became a program because everyone came home and watched them on Friday nights. They were fun to watch. 
they dominated teams over what 15 years um 15 years there halfway through the second quarter friday night you could hear virginia's sideline whipping you know whooping it up you could hear them yelling pass and draw now of course the microphones were close but they were so into that game and they stayed into that game for four quarters and now all this hard work the coaching staff is making them do that we laughed at you know kind of chuckled at when they're not winning and like focus on football now you're seeing the fruits of all that these guys believe you've got guys like zane zandier coming in and making an impact you've got chris brand you know chris moore there's just there's a lot of stuff to like now we're still gonna we're not gonna go undefeated the rest of the year and we're gonna have a podcast where we're down on something that happened but what i saw friday night was the best thing i've seen since the staff started um and that's all i asked for yeah yeah i, I if, think if, that go ahead. go ahead i'm sorry no, I was going to say, you know, if they have mistakes against Duke, which are Duke's a very good team this year, if we see them next week, I'll call them out. But I don't expect to see some of the stuff we saw last year because I think we're moved, moved the needle a little past that. Yeah, I think they're just, I think, like you said, the culture, but like the mental toughness of the team. Um, I mean, we saw it in fits and spurts last year, you know, being able to come back against Central Michigan after they tied the game or winning that game on the road at Duke, which is something that, you know, they weren't able to do in several years is win a game on the road. So they showed some toughness there. I thought they played really tough in that Louisville game. Um, They gave themselves a chance to win. But I think now, I mean, I could have seen a scenario where in the past UVA would have found a way to either get this game back to, like, Boise State with the ball down by seven trying to tie it or maybe even lose the game. Um, Not from 42 to 14, but what I'm saying is it might not have gotten past 28 to 14. But, I mean, I think that the pedal-to-the-metal approach on offense certainly paid off. Um, they kept throwing. They kept running different run action besides just right up the middle of the field. Um, they threw down to almost the very end of the game. So, I mean, I think the mental toughness and, and edge that the team plays with that we didn't really, frankly, see a lot in the last few seasons um, is something that, if they can keep that up, I think that, you know, they have some winnable home games coming up. If they can get the crowd fired up like they're fired up and, you know, in a road environment, make the, make things difficult on their opponent, I think that they have a chance to make some noise. I mean, I don't think they're going to win the Coastal or anything, but I think they can I think they can put some wins together. Yeah, don't forget about, you know, at halftime, right before half, they gave up that touchdown. So if there was a place they were going to f- fold – Old Virginia would have folded after that. Um, so to come out and have that ridiculous throw early in the third quarter, um, that might be my favorite Virginia play of recent memory. Yeah, I'd say that was probably the most surprising moment of the game. The, the we talking about the deep pass? Yeah, yeah, the deep pass right after halftime. After it was like 13 or 30 left in the third. It was the greatest. It was the greatest. <laughs> It was like it was like one of those things. Like, is he? What, what, oh my! Like, it was just one of those. Like, um, it was a very surreal moment. I've seen. Have, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's somebody who had who, who had like had a clip of the play and was some random person from from Twitter, I think. And he was like, "Yo, who is this quarterback from Virginia?" Because it was the prettiest D ball I can remember seeing. Um, I, I, I it pains me that I didn't see that live. Um, well, it's it was so weird good. to me that they didn't. I thought for a minute there it was gonna be they were just he was just gonna dump it off the Dowling because nobody covered him, and then I was like, oh, he's taking a shot here, and then it looked like he was thrown into double coverage, and then right. it was past the double coverage. 
So I don't know what, uh, I mean, I guess he's, I think Lavroni got like inside the DB and the DB kind of turned around and that's when he threw the ball. But the safety tried to come over, but he was just not able to cut it off. Well, and then too, like he put the, he put the air on that thing. Like, and I wonder like if Lavroni, because he might be like, he might be the best athlete on the team when he's healthy. Um, And you know, that's something we need to talk about. This look, look. I know a lot of people were were down on Lavroni being a you know a major piece of the offense, and it's not. My man had five catches for a buck forty one and two touchdowns. All right, he did that after what he did at UConn. Or, excuse me, against UConn, which was as I checked the note here just to make sure I get it right. Uh, he caught four passes for a buck twenty seven and a touch. Like. Look, I know that a lot of these are, are, are big plays down the field and, and they stack up nicely in stats. Okay, that's great. But for a guy who has had so much potential his whole career, he finally had a full offseason where he was actually healthy. And he's making he's he's doing something with it. I I think that like for a lot of folks, they just ne- that he was his his ability to stay on the field was always such a question mark that folks just never expected much from him. But man, he is a legitimate big play receiver now and look how hard is Virginia to defend when you can when you can have him and Zacchaeus and Dowling like you don't need a whole lot of options to be pretty good um but but teams are not going to be able to like I, I I look at it and I think how many years did we suffer through watching offenses that wanted to try to force the ball to smoke you don't have to force the ball to anybody right now because there are dudes making plays everywhere and I think Lavroni has certainly proven himself uh, you know he's not he's not afraid of the big time. I mean, though he made some really big catches in that game, some really hard, you know, some really tough ones. Um, now, granted, listen, we just we're talking about game four, right? And it's a twelve game season, so I mean, there's lots of time left for things to go awry. And we and and if last year is any, um, you know, any lesson to learn, look, they they won two games, uh, had one at home, went on the road, won one, and then went into their bye week, you know. Very different circumstances this year, considering the 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 record and and sort of the the big picture. But they can come out um, against Duke on the seventh and and lay an egg and not be very good. Just as likely as they can, you know, um, keep this thing rolling. Um, I think one other thing I want to talk about is sort of um, not necessarily where this ranks in, in the in the in things, but I feel like. I, I mean, look, not that long ago, I was telling folks on on Twitter, and and I think I even repeated on the podcast, like, can can every game not be a uh, referendum on the program? Okay, so I'm not going to overreact to the win and say this clearly means that Bronco and his staff are going to be here forever or anything like that, because I don't think that that's fair. Um, just like I didn't think it was fair to to write them off um, earlier. I will say this. I think that the I'm curious to see what the optimism like I think all of us as we're talking about it, we recognize that like there's a very that like we have real like verified evidence now that this team can be much better this season than we expected. They've already won three games. They're halfway to bowl eligibility. They're as close to bowl eligibility today as they have been since Halloween of twenty fifteen. Um it it makes sense to me that we should probably expect more out of them. But it also makes sense to me um, that as we look at the program in general, there are going to still be people who want it to be proven, right? There's still going to be people waiting to see. 
Um, but I just think that the optimism that that though that we have of the three of us, it it has to permeate to the fan base because the fans have been looking for any reason to be sort of pulled back to Scott Stadium that wasn't a concert, right? Like I think fans have been looking for that, and I think this game should do it. Do we think that that like how do we feel about the Duke crowd? I know it's a twelve twenty game, so that's not perfect in terms of. Um, and I know you guys are much more into like the voodoo of understanding um, crowds and and all that than I am. But how do we feel about the possibility of substantially more people coming to to the game on on October seventh, Dave? How do we how do we feel about that? I don't know. I mean, there will be more than UConn. Um, I mean, it is bicentennial weekend. I don't know how much of a bump that gets you. Uh, you would expect it to be some increase in, in people in town for that. Twelve um, twenty kickoff's a little odd. Uh, I'm trying to think how many people I think will show up at this game. Um, yeah, I think we break forty thousand. I mean, but yeah, it's something we should talk about probably in the off season. Like, it's not a, just a Virginia thing, man. Like, people just aren't going to football games anymore. It, it's it's a lot. You know, you can stay at home watching on your TV, and you know. And that's, it's not just a Virginia issue. We've, considering how bad Virginia's been for the last several years, the fact they're getting 40 at any home game is not something to sneeze at. Um, I do expect it, 45 is kind of, you know, the magic number for me. I don't know if we'll, we'll kind of get there, we'll get there for Duke or not. If it was 3.30 or a night game, I'd say we would. Um uh, Justin's a little better at it. I'll go, I'll go, we won't quite get to 45, but it'll be a bigger crowd than UConn. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be a bigger crowd than UConn, but I'm, uh, I'm not quite there as far as like expecting a surge of people. Um, the reason is, I mean, we've seen this happen in the past, uh, when there were less down years. I mean, that 2011 season, they were what? Seven and three going into their second to last home game or something like that, or six and three. Um, they'd won a bunch of games. They had a new coach who was recruiting well. And people, I mean, people, maybe more people were there than the UConn game or the Indiana game, but it wasn't like they filled the place. Um, or even close. It was in the 40s, uh, for those games at the end of the 2011 season. Then the start of the 2013, or the 2012 season, you know, they had a couple good crowds, but that was for the opener and then Penn State, and then people stopped coming. But they were, they had a good record. I mean, it wasn't like, and they were coming off of an eight-win season, so... I think it takes a little bit more than one win, two wins, a couple, you know, here or there to to really get people back. Um, and I don't expect that, you know, they beat Boise State on the road and people are just all of a sudden like, yeah, I need to change my calendar because I need to go to this Duke game at noon. I mean, you might see the, I think you'll see the payoff at either at the end of this season um, if they continue to win or into the next few. But it's going to take, I mean, I, I honestly think to have a very like good crowd without a lot of away fans. Like I mean, obviously when they play Virginia Tech, that's a one-off. I mean, there's a ton of away fans in the crowd. Or if they play like a Penn State or Notre Dame, there's a ton of away fans in the crowd. But I think for them to get to a point where they have a really good, like full-looking crowd, um, it's gonna take a good opponent and a bunch more wins. Having said that. I do expect a better version of the same, you know, you might have more of a, a slightly higher number of fans, but I expect them to be more into the games, to stay longer. Um, I think the students will be more interested than they have been in the last few weeks. 
And I think you, what you'll get is a good home field advantage from a not-so-full crowd. That's a th- I think that's a fair point. And I would say it like this. I think that because it was a Friday night on national TV, you did have a lot of fans who were probably watching. And if not, you had a whole lot of fans in the, la- in the days thereafter who were probably paying more attention um, who found out maybe they didn't watch it live, but they, they heard the score. And they were like, oh. So I almost wonder if, if that Duke game was, was, was Saturday and not a week from Saturday. You know, like I feel like there's going to be there's a little bit of momentum that you get that's a little bit uh, – because you're not talking about diehard fans here, right? You're talking about random people. And to these folks, the weather and, you know, the time of the game and what's going on around, that all has an impact. And so in a lot of ways, some of the football stuff makes sense, but also it's, a, it's, it's more than that. The problem that UVA – hold on one second. The problem that UVA has always had is that the fan base, the, the fan base is not necessarily the same as the people who come to games. Um, there, are, there are plenty of fans uh, of UVA. Um, I wouldn't have a, a job if they didn't, um, or if they, if they didn't exist. But at the same time, the people who are willing to, you know, to get in the car and go to the game, um, it's just not a part of the, uh, of the experience. And I wonder, as, you know, as they're building this quote-unquote new standard, if that's something that changes. Um, I would love, for, that, I would love for, the, for the kids to see you know, the stands relatively full you know, but again, it's not like it's almost like if this game was was Carolina, um, you know what I mean? Like, it, I feel like you'd, you'd, you'd have yeah. a good number of fans. I mean, Duke is still, you know, not even at even considering, you know, we don't know what they're going to do against Miami. But, um, you know, they're still what second in the receiving votes category of the, of the AP top 25. So they're not, you know, they're no slouch. Yeah, that was I was, was going to say, like, Duke is actually favored in the ESPN uh power rankings, which evidently Virginia, forget it with Virginia. Um, Duke's actually favored to win that game. I think if, if Duke get, wins that, they probably come in, they come in 5-0, and o, probably raked in the top 20, maybe just outside of it. Um, I think that would help a little bit with the crowd. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the max is. It's going to be a long time before you see Scott Stadium full. Um, I mean, and, in Virginia, I hate to compare us to Virginia Tech because it's a whole different thing. They don't go to as many games. They have a bigger alumni base. Stadium is just a little bit bigger than Scott Stadium. They don't sell out anymore. They'll sell out Clemson, but they didn't sell out last week. You know, it's you got to show people stuff now. Um, so it's something. It used to be a big concern of mine. You know, get to forty-five. The ones who are there just be loud. That's all I care about. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. And honestly, too, I think that might be a good uh, a good place to put in. I know we are we're going to record another episode to talk about all of the, the we're going to split it up between uh, the NCAA stuff, or excuse me, the FBI stuff ooh, uh, on college hoops, as well as the, the, the rest of the ACC slate. So um, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. Thanks for giving us a listen. I want to thank Dave and, and Ferber for giving them their time, not just now, but in a minute, but you won't hear that until the future. You got to love, uh, got to love the tricks of the trade for David Spence and Justin Ferber. I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.